So I don't need to reintroduce myself because we just did that. But um, guys, welcome, like I said, to week five of No Days Off. And before we get started with, with the message today, it's, I think it's important for us to spend some time in God's Word. And so if you've brought your Bible with you today, we're going to be reading out of the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter. And if you're not 100% sure where the book of Hebrews is, well, it's almost at the end of your Bible. So if you open to about 98, 97, 98% of the way through your Bible, you're going to find the book of Hebrews. And this is, this, is a, uh, this is an incredible book that I believe has some wisdom, had wisdom for the people of that time, but has wisdom that, that lays into our lives today. And so like I said, we're going to be reading out of chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. So if you would join me in this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning that shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. So if you'd join me in prayer, I want to pray for you all. I'm asking you to just take a moment, pray, pray for the folks who are sitting around you. Pray for me. Pray, for, pray that the noise of this world gets drowned out for the, next, for the next few moments. That we can focus directly on what Jesus has for us today. And his love and his faithfulness. So Jesus, I come to you today and I thank you. I thank you, like the song said, that your love, it, it never fails. That your faithfulness endures, that you are faithful regardless of situation. And I pray, Lord, today that in the midst of us gathering today, that the noise of this world, that the busyness of our lives, that the things that could distract us from you are drowned out for a moment so that we get to sit and learn from you. So we get to understand you deeper so we can become more like you and be better equipped to share you with the people who are around us. So Jesus, I pray all of these things in your name. Amen. You know, this is week five of No Days Off. 
And through the last five, for the last four weeks, we've been wrestling through an, a series big idea. And, and we're going to continue today. But the series big idea is this, is that we are to love and lead in our homes the way that our Heavenly Father loves and leads us. We're to love and lead in our homes in the same way that we have been loved and led by our Heavenly Father. In Ephesians chapter 5, Casey's brought this verse up each week and I love it. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now listen, I did this in the first service and they laughed at me, so I'm expecting y'all to do the same because you know casey gets up here sometimes and that guy's got rhythm i don't but it sure looks like fun from time to time so you know at the beginning of the week at the beginning of this series he he did this thing and now i can i can clap and i can talk i just can't do them at the same time and so we're going to try though so, so Casey would get up here and he'd go, he, he said, follow and walk, follow and walk in the way of love. But he'd get this little rhythm going, you know? And now this is not going to work. So just laugh at me because I'm going to laugh at myself because I want to. But it's a, it's a follow and walk. I think it's a follow and walk in the way of love. See, it's not on rhythm. I am not good at this. But that was fun. So um, the idea, though, guys, is we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children. We're to follow and walk in his way, in the way of love. And through the course of these weeks, I want to give you guys a little bit of a recap of where we've gone and how we've gotten to where we're at now and how that plays into following and walk, follow and walk in the way of love. You see, in week one, we learned that a Jesus-centered life is the best gift we can give the people around us. A Jesus-centered life is the best gift that we can give the people around us so they can see us follow and walk in the way of love and in week two out of the abundance of overflow of the love of christ and what he says about us we were challenged to 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 boldly say i am proud of my children and will unconditionally love them not because of what they have done not because of the love they provide me not because of what they could do but because they are mine you see, when we step into relationship with Jesus, the same thing is said with, about us. It's not because of what we do and what we can do. We are loved because we are his. And we are to follow that example and boldly say, I'm proud of my children and will unconditionally love them because they are mine. And in week three, we were given this picture of this new end zone, this new goal for parenting. This I will love and lead so that my family wants to be together forever with Jesus. This idea that it's not about I'm not going to love and lead so that we, so that we have this, this amazing little life while we're here together, but so that we have this eternal life that's beyond all imagination. And then last week, the perfectionist in many of us kind of got socked in the mouth when we, when, we were, when we were told that relationships are built on honesty, not perfection. That there's no way for perfection to happen in any of our lives, so why in the world would we ever expect that of our children? And this week, we're going to talk about a lovely subject. We're going to talk about discipline. This is a hard subject. It's hard because I think that often we as adults have the wrong idea, the wrong mindset when it comes to discipline. It's easy for us to fall into a trap of, of settling for something that is less 
than what discipline is described as in Scripture. We can settle for something that can be a portion of discipline, oftentimes an essential portion of discipline, but was never meant to be the totality of it. We can settle for punishment without discipline. Yes, and, and get, get me wrong, there, there, there are times when discipline is merited, when punishment is merited, when it's needed. But it's never meant to, be stand, to stand alone. It's never meant to be the end zone. It's meant in time, and we'll see this further as we get into Scripture, that it's meant to be an element, but not a standalone. Discipline includes punishment when merited, but it cannot stop there. So the question is, why do we do this? Well, truthfully, it's because most of the time, Punishment is easier than discipline. Punishment is easier to receive and it's easier to dole out because it's done once the consequences are over. But discipline goes beyond that. Discipline goes to something else entirely because punishment leads to temporary. Discipline can lead to to a lifelong and eternal destination. See, when I was young, I had this friend. Um, his name was Barney, not the purple dinosaur. Um, but Barney was my dear friend. Barney and I became buds when we were in, in, uh, in kindergarten. I would go out to his home. It would happen on the... Um, it, would, it would happen almost every weekend. Either I'd be at his place or he'd be at mine. During the summertime, if I wasn't at home, I was at his home. If he wasn't at his home, he was at mine. We had, uh, I learned to do a lot of things. I, Barney was diabetic. I learned to give insulin shots when I was seven years old because we would go camping at the back end of their land and sometimes mom and dad wouldn't get there fast enough and I had to help. We learned a lot about, uh, uh, we learned a lot about building relationship and what it meant to be in relationship with each other. And as we got older, as often happens with boys, especially when they get into middle school age, you know, we, we, we kind of clashed. And we didn't always clash with words. I mean, if we're being really honest, there'd be wrestling matches in the backyard that would end with bloody lips and black eyes. There were fistfights in the backyard that sometimes ended with bloody lips and black eyes. And they were often over the smallest little things. And because I was over at his place so much and he was over at my place so often, our parents had permission to dole out whatever punishment was necessary, regardless of what house we happened to be at. And so his dad would go, and, he, and, and during that summer, I remember we spent a lot of time there, and he would punish us. He'd send us to different areas. We'd have these little punishments. We'd do this stuff. And, but then we'd come back together, and we'd get right back into another fight. We'd get right back into a fight, and the, the, the chasm between us was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And honestly, I don't even remember what the fights were about, so they must have been really little things. But his dad, whose name also was Barney, would call us together, and Big Barney would gather us together. And he gathered us one time, and he said, boys, this punishment thing, obvious, the way we're doing this obviously isn't working. He goes, I want to try something different. And in his hand, he had two garden hoes. You guys know what a garden hoe is. If you don't, it's an it's, it's a instrument of torture. Um, but no, he, he had these, in, these garden hoes, and we looked out in the backyard, and he and Donna, his wife, had plotted out a quarter acre. 
And they said, boys, we need a garden. Get to work. And he sent us out. And listen, this was punishment. And it was earned. Because we'd just gotten in a fight, not in the backyard, but on their carpet. And so that was, we had earned this punishment. But he made us work together. He made us put aside, and we started in different areas of the garden and soon realized we needed to work together. We weren't going to get this done. And when we came back together and we talked and we began to apologize for the stupidity that got us to this point, then we were given different tools. We brought out a a tiller, an electric tiller, that made life, a gas-powered tiller, that made life a lot simpler. But I remember the conversation we had at the end. And he pulled us together and he said, boys, I made you do this because your relationship is too important to let little things get in the middle of. You see, his goal was restoration of that relationship. His goal was restoration, was salvaging a relationship that was at that point in time, seven years old, that was falling apart. And it worked. It was hard. It was hard work, but it was worthwhile work. You see, biblical discipline takes what I learned from my friend Big Barney and continues on to something even greater. See, biblical discipline is training in righteousness to the end of reconciliation with God first and others. You see, Barney worked really hard so that that me and his son would be reconciled to each other Biblical discipline goes a step beyond and says, first, we're going to reconcile our relationship with God and then with other people. And what is reconciliation? It's simply restoring a broken relationship. Reconciliation is is simply bringing back what is broken and bringing it together and helping it heal. You see, we see in 2 Corinthians 5 that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have, through Jesus, been reconciled to God when we accept Him and submit to Him as our Lord, but then we are called to be reconcilers in, the, in our relationships with others and in, the, in our relationship and the lives of our children. And that takes hard work. You see, it took the work of Christ on the cross for us to be able to be reconciled to God, and it will take work in, from us to be a minister of reconciliation in the lives of our children. It will take discipline to the end of reconciliation with God and others. You see, discipline is work for the people who are on the receiving end and also those who are, who are providing the training. So as we step back into the Hebrews passage from earlier, I wanna, I, I want you, we're going to see that, that discipline takes the right mindset and the right continuing motivation. And when we have those things, it can lead to an incredible outcome. So discipline does. It, it takes the right mindset and motivation. Discipline takes the right mindset and motivation. It's not something we can walk into selfishly. It's not something we can walk into without the right goal in mind. See, the author of Hebrews did a great job of showing the Hebrew people of that time and us today and everyone since that, that, it, that we, the importance of having the right 
mindset and motivation. But he begins in chapter 11 with this. I know we started in chapter 12, but I want to recap just a little bit of what chapter 11 does because I believe it helps us see something. Chapter 11 is, is oftentimes considered the hall of faith. It's this great chapter of all these little snippets of stories where it says, by faith this, or by faith this, or by faith this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed spies into her house and was not killed. Her life was saved. By faith, the Israelites walked across the Red Sea on dry land. And it goes on to say, hey, the author of Hebrews says, I'd love to tell you the story of Gideon and David and many other people. But by faith, these things happen because people clung to the faith. They were able to face down any circumstance, but they clung to the faith because it also speaks that in these moments, the faithfulness of God never wavered. So we get to see that there is a faithfulness not only that, that comes from God and into our lives, and we see at the beginning of Hebrews 12 where they get to bring this back in, where the author of Hebrews brings this back in, and it becomes an encouragement. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is what he's saying. He says, these people are witnesses to the faithfulness of God and what happens when you remain faithful to him. All these great heroes of faith that the Hebrew people would have known about. He's saying they are witnesses to the faithfulness of God in their lives regardless of circumstances. In the worst circumstances in their life, God was faithful. So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we're not alone, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is where our focus should be. We have to have the right focus, the right mindset. Our mindset should be one that is focused upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Because my friends, his example said he had one singular focus. And that while he was here, and that was to create a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. I love what Luke 19.10 says. It tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I hate to break it to you, but that is all of us. All of us are the lost. And Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save us and create a way. And he stopped at no end to create a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. And that is what... That, that, that is what we should be bringing into our lives with our children. An unashamed, unabashed focus on how do we help our children get to meet the king of all creation. There is nothing greater on earth that we should strive for than to introduce our children to Jesus and Jesus alone so that they can look away from everything else and look solely unto Jesus you see because when we look unto Jesus it means life and light and encouragement and joy he is the goal period there is no other you see Jesus sacrificed for us 
so he could become the goal, so he can continue to be the goal, and so he could be the goal that we have for ourselves and our children. And he sacrificed for us because of his love for us. And we should carry that same mindset into our singular focus that we have for our children. Biblical discipline, and when applied in the lives of our children, leads us one goal. And it's motivated by love. You see, the motivation of discipline is love. The motivation of discipline is love. There is no other motivation that we should have in this world i love what the apostle what 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 the author of hebrews says beginning in verse 5 and it says and have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons my son do not make light of the lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son You know, earlier we talked about how punishment was part of discipline. There's a reason why they put these together, why the author throws these together. Because yes, in our lives, there are times when we merit punishment, but it's never doled out by itself. It always comes with the training in righteousness so that we can see the king, so that we can be reconciled to the king. We are to endure hardship as discipline. You see, God is treating us as sons. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, without salvation, there is no sonship. And without sonship, there is no discipleship. It It is his sons God disciplines that they might bring honor to his name. He wants to teach and train them soften and sweeten them to strengthen and to steady them so that they may become more and more of who they were created to be you see this is what god does this is what he desires he desires to teach and train us to soften and sweetness to steady us in his word we are discipled by jesus and he does that through his word he does that through prayer and he does that through godly relationships with other people who are pointed in the same direction and we have the opportunity to be able to provide that same type of discipleship in the lives of our children if we will receive it from him first my friends i gotta be honest and this is going to be a real this is a really hard thing for me to say but if we are parents and if we don't disciple our children someone else will if we don't step in and disciple our children in the way that god prescribes which is to the goal of restoration with him and others someone else will provide discipleship in the lives of our children Someone else who may have a much lower view of what truth absolute what, what truth is. And, and I, I hate to say this, and I, I, I don't like saying this, but it's the truth. If we don't, we have no control over who will. So we have a responsibility to step into their lives and provide discipleship through discipline provide discipleship with discipline so that they get to understand the absolute truth and that is that jesus loves them beyond all measure and he is the absolute truth because he is the only one who could ever claim to be the way the truth and the life and if we are not willing someone else will disciple our children and my friends that could have dire consequences 
not just here on not just here temporarily but eternally I'll step off my soapbox for just a moment See, we discipline and disciple our children because of the ramifications, not just here, but eternally, because discipline and discipleship affects our relationship with God that is eternal and with others that is temporary. As we are trained in righteousness and as we receive the discipline of God in both good and bad times, and as we become more and more like Christ, it affects all the relationships in our lives. I love what Howard Thurman said. And if you guys, I didn't tell you all who C.S. Lewis was. I think, most, I think a lot of people know who C.S. Lewis is. Howard Thurman is a, was a, um, a mid-20th century theologian, um, founded the first African-American seminary in the United States. He, is a, um, he spent 50 years pastoring churches, and, and uh, a majority of his work was how do we allow, how do we continue to submit to Christ so he can shape us to become who he wants us to be? And I love what he says about this idea of discipline. He says the, the discipline applied in discipleship focuses on God in the context of relationships. First with God and then with others. You see, when we have accepted Christ as Lord, we are disciplined as God's children. It is a sign of our standing with him it is a sign that says we are his. We are his sons and daughters. We are his disciples. And regardless of circumstances, God can and will disciple us because we are his. And his unwavering, unconditional, and never-ending love for his children has no end and will go to no end to help us become like him he disciplines us both in good and bad times and we can trust that even in the midst of merited punishment his love is unwavering and his punishment is never simply that it is part of his training us in righteousness it is part of loving discipleship and we have the same responsibility with our children do we love them enough to disciple them, to treat them as true children? Do we love them enough to set aside what is best for us so that we can disciple them? See, because God's discipline trains us to live in relationship with both God and man, and we have the responsibility of bringing that into the lives of our children. The discipline of God is what shapes us to live in right relationship with both him and those who are around us. It trains us to be able to live out of the overflow of, his, of the one who lives inside us into the lives of the people who are around us. It isn't easy. Discipline and discipleship are not easy. They take work. The work that I did in a, in a, in a garden with a hoe with my friend was not easy. It took work, but the results were profound because it salvaged a relationship. I mean, yeah, they got a garden out of it, but we got restoration. It isn't easy for us because it requires change in our lives. 
it isn't easy for our children to receive. And if change isn't easy for us, then it won't be easy for them. Hebrews 12, 11 lays this out really well. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I kind of read that and want to say, well, duh. There's no truer words in the world that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline in our lives is like the pruning of a tree. It, it shapes the tree so that it will produce the most fruit. A pear tree is meant to grow pears. But at times, it'll have dead branches that need to be taken away. At times, it'll have branches that are producing fruit, may look good, but aren't producing fruit in the way that they should and need to be pruned. And just like that, in our lives, we read in the book of Romans that we are supposed to become like Jesus. Those of us who call Jesus Lord, our goal, our purpose is to become like Jesus. And in order to do that, it takes pruning. Sometimes it takes pruning of things that we're happy to get rid of. Sometimes it takes pruning of things that we're happy to get rid of. It prunes out an addiction. It prunes out an anger problem. It prunes out things that we know we shouldn't have in our life. But at other times, it gets a little more difficult because it leans into relation. Maybe it leans into things that on the surface look okay, but the, the, the true garden of our, of our soul knows that those things are keeping us from being able to bear fruit and become like Jesus the way we were created to. So it, look, it can look at our lives and say, well, maybe this hobby that we have over here, it may be good. It may be a good thing, but it's not a God thing. This relationship I have over here, the way I'm living my life may be a good thing, but it's not necessarily a God thing. And so God can come in and take some of these good things and prune them out so that the God thing that he's creating us to become like can shine through even more. You see, this is how we live in relationship with God, by submitting to his lordship and allowing him to direct the pruning that needs to happen in our lives so that like a pear tree that grows pears when it's pruned appropriately, we can become like Jesus because he's pruned out of our lives the things that are getting in the way. You see, discipleship, discipline also trains us to live at peace with others. It trains us to live in such a way that the outpouring of Christ in our life pours over into the relationships we have with each other so we can live at peace with each other. And see, living at peace with each other, with all men, takes effort on our end. We can't expect it to just happen. It takes us seeking out peace and doing all we can to fight to reconcile these relationships. And this is what we are training our children to do. And our teaching big idea today is this, is that we discipline our children toward reconciling with the one they have wronged. We discipline our children toward reconciling with the one that they have wronged. We are being disciplined so that we can be trained up, become like Jesus, so that we can enter into relationship with him. And then we let this overflow into our lives of our children, into the lives of others, so we can live at peace with them. We're doing the same thing with our children. Hebrews 12, 14, the last verse that we read earlier, I think, is just wraps this up really well. It says, Make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see, friends, we have to constantly choose to submit to the leadership of Christ in every moment. It takes effort. It takes constant effort on our part, a constant decision to set things aside. Now, we have to constantly choose, do the hard work of choosing to submit to the leadership of Christ when everything that's inside of our sinful nature says, we're okay on our own. But now, and now don't get me wrong. Once we've accepted Christ as our Lord, we are sealed and we are His. But daily we face decisions where we have to choose whose way we're going to follow. Are we going to follow the Christ's way or are we going to follow our own? Are we going to, and understanding that while we are His and we are forgiven now and for forever, we can't become complacent. And that when we sin, and we will, that we have to come to Him as a child to a father and honestly confess our sins and repent call them out, engage honestly with our own sinfulness and ask the Lord for the strength to combat these in our daily lives. See, living at peace with others also takes effort. It takes active humility. That means, I'm gonna see, that means humbly seeking out those that we have wronged and doing what we can to gain reconciliation. This does not mean gaining rightness. Reconciliation with somebody else does, is not is not. It's not equated to them admitting that I was right. I might like that, but that's not the deal. That's not what this is about. It's not about gaining rightness. It's about fighting for the restoration of that broken relationship. And we are told how to do this. And we can model this for our children by confessing with them when we wrong them. And we will. See, we are called to live this way and in the discipline we bring into our lives and into our homes, we should do all we can to lead our children in the same way. When we discipline towards reconciliation with God, we do this by leading with confession and repentance. We discipline towards reconciliation with others in the same way. You see, confession with repentance leads to right standing with God and can lead to peace with others. So I want to explain something here real quick. I used a word in here and somebody asked me about it earlier. They said, why'd you say it can lead to right standing with others? And I want to start with the beginning of this. Confession with repentance will always lead to right standing with God. Always. It's a fancy little Greek word that means every time. Because our God is faithful to forgive us. And faithful to bring us in. And confession begins with this is what I've done wrong. But with repentance. Which is I am walking this direction in my own way. And I am no longer going here. And I'm going to turn. And I'm going to walk towards the king of all creation. I'm going to live in such a way that it honors him and him alone. It's, con it's confession with repentance. It can lead to restoration and peace with others because in, it's our responsibility to do our part. We have no control over how it's received. 
We are to do as in as much as it depends upon us to live at peace with each other. Confession and repentance is in as much as it depends upon us. But trying to restore a relationship without confession and repentance will never work. So we must lead that way. So confession with repentance leads to right standing with God and can lead to peace with others. And it is where we are leading our children. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We are to turn towards God and repent and be refreshed because he will bring us in and we will get to experience the water of life, the bread of life. We will get to experience times of refreshing. And isn't that what we want for our children? That they get to experience that as well above all of us, above relationship with us, relationship with the one who is life. And that's what we're doing. So as we model confession, as we model repentance and we lead our children to the relationship first with God and they get to experience that refreshment, that refreshing life that comes from God, then we can begin to talk about our relationship with others where James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When we go to God and we come to him and we say, Jesus, I am laying this all down at your feet and I am following you. And we go and we talk with someone else. We can go knowing that we are right with our heavenly father and he will give us the power to do everything in our power to live at peace with the people who are around us. And he's given us the tools. So this is how we live and walk. This is how This is how we follow and walk in the way of love. You see, when we trust the love of God and know that he wants only what is best for us, then we can trust in his discipline and truly follow and walk in the way of love. And when our children trust in our love for for them and see a Jesus-centered life and experience our example of honest confession when we fall short and know that we want nothing more than what is absolute best for them, which is eternity with Jesus, then they can trust our discipline and understand the importance of reconciliation and restoration. So I want to challenge you with something here, friends. I ended this with an I will statement, not an I should or an I can or I might, an I will statement. Take it seriously. I will discipline my children.